I was really captured also by the community and by the excitement and encouragement and inclusion. And I just knew immediately that I found my people. I want to surround myself with these people and this art making and this process. And welcome to the 27th episode of Pine Copper Live, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release an episode every two weeks, and on the off weeks, I publish an article on the Pine Copper Lime website, which features images and maybe a bit more information about the artist I'm going to interview. Boy, howdy, it is a busy, busy time at PCL headquarters down under. We are celebrating 20,000 followers on Instagram as of this week. 20,000! That is a whole stadium full of print-loving, podcast-listening, inky-fingered beauties. And to celebrate, have you guessed it? That's right, I'm doing another giveaway. Partnering with the incredible folks at Awagami Factory once again. This time they have donated two, count them, two $100 gift certificates to the cause. You can sign up through a link in the show notes to the Instagram. But hurry, because the drawing will be at 10 a.m. the 19th of November, Sydney time. For those of you who don't know Awagami, they've been making incredible washi paper in Yoshinogawa Village in Japan for eight generations. They also have residencies and a paper museum and so much more. You can hear all about it in episode 13 of this podcast. So go to the PCL Instagram to enter or just click the link in the show notes. But that is not all. No, no, no. Awagami is offering listeners of Pine Copper Lime 20% off their entire purchase from the online store between now and the 15th of December. No need to enter anything. No need to wait for a drawing. As of right now, with the offer code PCL20 and the percent sign, you can get 20% off your entire purchase. Just enter PCL20 and that percent sign at the PayPal checkout between now and the 15th of December. My guest this week is Annalise Grotovich. She is a printmaker based in Austin, Texas, who creates absolutely stunning, monumental woodcuts. Her figures represent explorations of home, loss, and family history. Annalise is also a world-class print community organizer and a board member for Print Austin. For those of you who don't know Print Austin, this event is quintessentially what I mean when I say, join the party. Since 2014, Print Austin has been hosting a citywide, month-long event to celebrate printmaking. They partner with local galleries and arts venues for exhibitions, demonstrations, and artist talks throughout the event. But from January 31st through February 2nd, that's when some real magic happens. They have a printmaker's ball and a print expo, with artists and galleries from around the U.S. showing their goods. Can't make it to Print Austin but still want to join the party? Do not despair. There is a print exchange through this event, and the deadline to apply is right around the corner. The call is open internationally, 
and the final exhibition will be exhibited at the Print Expo. And right now, Pine Copper Lime listeners can enjoy $5 off the entry fee with the code PCL, the number 5, off. That's $5 off the entry fee for the Print Austin Print Exchange between now and December 15th with the offer code PCL5OFF. I will put a link in the show notes to all of this, of course. So printmakers, shake your pretty little tail feathers and get on this. Printmaking forever. Shun the non-believers. Join that party. Okay, so without further ado, here's Annalise. Hi, Annalise. How's it going? Very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are things in Austin? Things good. We're back and forth between kind of starting winter and then being summer again. And it's also the fall season, which is really busy for the arts and everyone's artistic schedule. So there's a lot of lot of stuff going on, a lot of excitement. Yeah. Well, I've definitely heard that Austin is an incredible place for arts. I think that that's one of the things it's famous for. And that's definitely something I want to ask you about maybe a little bit later on, because I know that you are an organizer and a spokesperson and an ambassador, I think, for something. So yeah, so I think I'd be excited to hear more about that. But before we dive in, I would love it if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners and answer the classic who you are, where you are, what you do questions. Yeah, so I am Annalise Gratovich. Uh, I live in Austin, Texas, and um, I currently work at the Blanton Museum here in town as the matting and framing preparator. And so I basically prepare everything on paper, books, Prints and drawings, of course, uh, paintings, manuscripts, maps, all that kind of stuff, either for exhibition or for collections housing. And I am also uh, a self-publishing printmaker based out of Austin, and I'm on the board of a couple different printmaking organizations in town, and I like to curate and just bring people together, so I wear a lot of different hats here. Yeah, it sounds like that you're just that you are a a works on paper person through and through. Well, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and when you first started to get that kind of spark of art making. Yeah, well, I grew up uh, in the kind of in the hill country here out just outside of Austin, but I have been in Austin for so long, I consider it my hometown. And I have always drawn on things and made things. And so it's definitely been a large part of my life. And I come from a family of artists, um, everyone, well, musicians, really, both of my parents are working musicians. And my brother is a musician, and that runs in the family visual arts, too, but a little bit less. So it's just been a, a, a big part of my life. Yeah. So were you like the the kind of kid that was always doodling in the margins and the textbooks and that oh, kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah. And lying on the walls and <laughs> drawing on all these things that I should have been drawing on. And it's funny that I love paper now so much because <laughs> I didn't want to draw on paper when I was, <laughs> you know, way back in the day. 
Yeah. And so did you know from right on early on you wanted to go to art school? No, I didn't. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. And so I was at community college and I started when I was really young. I was 16. And I remember going to the basement, which is where all the art classes were. And I was taking some art classes And then I saw the printmaking studio and I saw my first ever American French tool Hmm. and I was totally bewitched. I was like, (laughs) what is this place? What is this machine? What is the acid room? And I I just, I was like, I'm not exactly sure what this is, but I'm going to look into it and I'm going to take it. And I just completely fell in love from from the beginning. And it's funny because I had I had made a print before and this is something that I totally forgot about until very recently. There was one one year when I was really young. My parents took me to um an arts camp that was just like a week long and I'd go for a little bit a day and I made a screen print of just some silly little sunflower drawing and I got to print it on all this different stuff. And I remember just loving that making Mm. the multiples and it was so fun. And then I don't know, camp was over and I kind of forgot about it and didn't really think about it again, printmaking really about making prints until I enrolled in that first intro class at Austin community college. And, uh, yeah, we studied, we did, we did a relief print an etching and a litho and I kept taking it until I decided to go to school for printmaking. And I, yeah, 14 14 years later, I had stopped, which is great. So how did you end up going to community college at 16? Yeah, well, I didn't like the high school I was going to. And I was was bored and it it wasn't fun. Like who likes high school, right? Yeah. I ended up dropping out. And I took an entrance exam to community college. And so that's how I was able to, to do that. And um, it, was, it was really great. And I took classes and all these amazing things. And really, I, you know, I started really liking math and science and was taking astronomy classes and thought I was going to go to school for astronomy until printmaking caught me. Really? That, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting that I, I, I love that because I feel like a lot of people and this is, of course, something that gets talked about so much, right, but to, to almost ad nauseum, but I, I still enjoy it how there is that separation a little bit, of course, between arts and science and they're so different and neither the twain <laughs> shall meet. But I was actually I was just listening to this morning while I was having breakfast, one of my favorite podcasts which is ologies and she is a bit of a hero because obviously she's doing a lot what I do only with science and the woman that she was talking to was a chemist who for a very long time was studying fashion and wanted to be a fashion designer until Mm -hmm. she just got this whiff of chemistry and was like oh no this is it so had gone the other way yeah I'm sure it happens I'm sure it happens often you know and I mean, I get a lot of, of the same kind of gratification. It's the problem solving and it's puzzles and working mm-hmm. towards this this abstract idea until you get a concrete answer. And it's but it's much more satisfying to me because I, I'm working physically on something. Right. And uh, 
it's just the best. Yeah, that's that's also really astute what you were saying about that working towards solving a puzzle or solving a challenge mm -hmm. because that is exactly what this woman was saying is that she mm -hmm. that is why she loves something like chemistry is that it it is it, in a way it's it's a game and you know mm -hmm. if you just keep picking at it systematically you will get there and it just yeah. it just requires dedication and creative thinking and sort of stretchy thinking and then you'll you'll be there. Oh, I love it. Exactly. Man, this woman and I would get along. Well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just send you, yeah, a link to it. It's so funny. Yeah, please do. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So you were thinking a lot about astronomy and then printmaking stole your heart. Do you have any idea what it was about that printmaking studio when you saw it? Was it that maybe it looked a little bit almost like a laboratory in its own way, acid baths and specialized equipment or? Yeah, it, well, it definitely was otherworldly. And I loved, I mean, I loved the machines. Mm -hmm. And I remember being captured by the printing presses first. And then just seeing all this other cool stuff. And I'm like, oh, these are cool toys. And I want to, I want to play with these. And then also, you know, I saw what people were making. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was just like, oh, I got to try that. And then when I got into it, I mean, I was really captured also by the, by the community and by the excitement and encouragement and inclusion. And I mean, I have always thought this about printmakers and I think we all share this sentiment that we're incredibly in inclusive, um, fun, encouraging people and I just knew immediately, you know, that I, oh, wow, I've found, I found my people. I want to surround myself with, with these, with these people and this art making and this process. Yeah. And I've been incredibly fortunate to, to do so. And I'm so grateful. And I mean, one of my first friends that I made in that print class when I was 16, we are still phenomenal friends mm. and I'm really good friends with my first print teacher mm -hmm. who has been a great mentor to me. Yeah, it's just that that's everything. Yeah, it really is. It really is. There's absolutely that sense of come for the art, stay for the community. Yes. So all of this was all of this was in Austin where you went to school and then where you eventually studied. Was that in Austin or did you leave for um, graduate studies? No, I haven't gone to grad school. So it's all mm -hmm. been in Austin. I did my BFA here. And at that time, I started working um, at Flatbed Press, which is mm -hmm. a print publisher here in town. And so I was there for eight years and um, just made the transition to the museum earlier this year. And so I, yeah, I, I think every now and then about going back to grad school, but I just have not made the jump. And I've just been so busy also. Yeah. And so engaged and doing so many things, I just, I haven't really wanted to take that, that break to do that. Although I think about it and I think I'm probably going to do it in the next few years or so, but yeah. we'll see. In a way, I think grad school is there when you're not feeling that forward momentum. And mm -hmm. it's a way to, you know, ideally in, in a good grad program, what it's going to do is expand your practice, but almost logistically expand your community and your connections. And I think that that is 
from what it sounds like where you are, you, you have momentum and you have a step forward and you are doing all these things. And, you know, if at any point you kind of start to feel the wane in the momentum, that is a really good time to go to grad Mm -hmm. school and expand what you're doing both professionally um, and artistically, but grad school is not going anywhere. That's the great thing about it. Yeah, it's not. And that's, that's one reason why I, I've never felt in a rush to do it. And I, you know, I definitely have time, of course. And I mean, there are things that I, that I would like to do that I think I could get out of a grad program, just ideas I'd like to develop and having Mm. the, the time and resources to do that and expand into some, you know, some different, I guess, more three dimensional media. But as it is, yeah, I haven't been wanting to divest myself from a lot of the things that I've been engaging in here because they've been so fulfilling and so wonderful. And so I'm, yeah, I'm happy here. (laughs) Good, good. Yeah. I know a lot of professional artists when they do choose to go to grad school, even if they already have this established career, they'll say they think of it as just a two year long residency because they've got a lot already going that they go in with the intention of flushing out. And I think mm-hmm. that can be a good way to think about it too. That's a great way to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. I have never, I've never put that, I've never applied that word to it, but I think that's a very good way to look at it. Yeah. Since we're, we're, we're speaking about your work, I would say one of the things that's really, really distinctive about what you do is that you work across all these different media and, you know, you, you um, manipulate the paper yourself and you do all these things, but you also have a really distinctive aesthetic that is really recognizable and really beautiful. And I'd love to just ask you to maybe describe that a little bit first before we kind of get into some of the technical or philosophical aspects of your practice. My work, well, it's very, it's very figurative, but within that the stylized figurative work there is um, a strong sense of pattern pattern is very important and symbols are very important and creating this field of visual you know stimulation through a pattern is is important to me and that is derived um, in large part from Ukrainian embroidery mm-hmm. and I have Ukrainian heritage as we kind of spoke about earlier and that's been a big influence on my work, you know, incorporating these visual languages that, that I have grown up with and that I have seen, but also that have been very far away from me. And that kind of lends itself to the philosophical part of my, you know, my studio investigation. But I think that's the way I would describe it. It's stylized figurative work with, with a strong sense of pattern and repetition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And how did you kind of come to develop that style was it something that you'd worked years on did it sort of did you draw one of your your figures and all of a sudden realize like oh there's a lot to explore here I'm gonna keep doing it or was it over time both Mm -hmm. absolutely both um I always was drawn I always have been drawn to figurative work and I make it and I collect it and I was drawing these very round forms and, you know, imbuing them with a lot of emotion, a lot of, you know, human connection and humanity. And, you know, I wanted to draw empathy and compassion from people, and, you know, these important emotions that art is very good for. Yeah. And 
Um, you know, in school, it's funny because I had a professor one time that was, he, he just told me, and we got along, we got along well, but he said this thing to me that, that sticks with me that I chuckle about every now and then he said, you know, you should, you should think about designing Hallmark cards. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. But you know, I, and so I stuck with it and I kept, I kept developing this figure because I, that's what I, that's what I wanted to do. And then it struck me, oh, I'm drawing the Matryoshka dolls mm. that I grew up playing with. These round figures, you know, with these doll-like faces. And, you know, those were some of my favorite toys to play with when I wasn't drawing, you know, unstacking and stacking and nestling them together and seeing the patterns. And we had, we had several and the different stories that they told too within the patterning and just found that to be important, making that realization. So it was both something I had been doing for a long time. And then all of a sudden kind of had this light bulb moment, which is like, Oh, why didn't I realize that Mm -hmm. sooner? Yeah. And I mean, I, I love textile and embroidery and the stylistic patterning and just the, the visual language and, and these geometric and floral Textile patterns, I mean, when you really start studying them and looking at them, they are the same across cultures, which I think is really striking. And so I started putting a lot of that into my work and, you know, people kind of depending on where they're coming from or or their influences or references can look at my figures and place them in in completely different places, which I think are are 100% valid. You know, Mm -hmm. people will look them and see Inuit figures or, you know, Japanese stylized dolls or, you know, I mean, of course, people from Eastern Europe see it right away. Right. They say, oh, it's a doll, you know, but I think all of those are valid. And, and it's fascinating to me, this, this visual language that transcends culture in, in this type of, um, you know, textile and, and artwork, traditional artworks. And so I started using that a lot. And one of my largest series that I've been working on for a long time, it's this series called Carrying Things from Home. Mm-hmm. And it's a series of eight uh, large woodcuts, and they are three by five and a half feet. And each one is this totemic being that uh, encompasses a soul identity. And so that's when I started this series. That's when I really started thinking about, okay, putting the traditional embroidery in here. But then when you look at the work, I also, like I'm 100% Texan. My father's a war refugee from Ukraine. Mm. He's a naturalized citizen, but I'm, I'm like I say, 100% Texan. So I also <laughs> bring in my, you know, my kind of country upbringing and, you know, a lot of the Southwest in Texas and, you know, these motifs that, that feel at home to me. So I have this blend of Eastern European and, and then also American West and, and Southwest. Yeah, it's, 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 I think it's really appropriate for you to call them the totemic because they that is really so much the feel that they have is this, you know, I was going to say long, but I don't even think it, a long tradition covers it. This really like since we were creating images, we would make figures, human figures that stand in for something greater for a concept, you know, as a way to kind of embody it. And, and that really, you get the feeling with your, and I want to call them female. 
Like there's there's something, but I don't know. Do they have any kind of agenda from your point of view? No, they don't. I like to keep them androgynous, but it's interesting because I have also found that women will refer to them as you know she or mm-hmm. you know female identifying, and and then male identifying will refer to them as as he. And really? Sometimes there's a crossover, uh-huh. but that something that's very interesting to me and what I love because that's people humanizing the work and empathizing with it and seeing you know kind of recognizing themselves in it yeah that's been a really interesting phenomenon as I've seen people interact with with the work I mean there are some that are gendered they're you know the two most recent pieces in the series are the mother and the undertaker and so they are life and death Mm-hmm. in the series so of course that one is is gendered um the mother is typically i like to to keep them genderless or all gender all gender inclusive really you know yeah either two that's yeah two sides of the coin genderless or or all gendered it's yeah they're both there it's yeah. so interesting because when i sort of hesitate saying like i want to refer to them as female but when i look at mm-hmm. them like i have them pulled up right now of course like just kind of in in the background of the call so I can I can speak to them directly you know looking at them and there's nothing I could point to there's no traditional female characteristics that they have that that I could be like oh yeah that's why I think she's she's a female figure or whatever that it's it's just more yeah you've created something that um is a bit transcendent which I think is really beautiful thank you just from the series it's called carrying things from home and they're these large scale and that you said you've described they're these sort of round figures and they they themselves are wearing very patterned uh, headpieces and cloaks um, and then they also are standing in or on or around um, something that seems symbolic as well whether it's oceans or a stump from a cut down tree and I'm, I'd, I'd love to hear you kind of speak to the actual physical imagery that you're using and how one kind of might read one of your pieces through um, the the icons or the iconography in it. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, these come from a, a studio investigation of you know personal and cultural identity and home and belonging and what that means and the loss of that and Mm -hmm. the search for that and the search for identity. And so each one of these figures is carrying, you know, kind of a, a aware of their trade or something, something that kind of encompasses their identity, like the builder, for example, the one with the stump. So the builder is carrying this bird, a big blue bird in his arms. And he is standing in front of a tree that he's cut down. So he's surrounded by the stump and his textiles are covered in axes and this tartan pattern. And he's also on his head supporting. And see, I'm saying I'm saying he the the character Uh is a nest on on their head and. But it's to no avail. He's trying to save the bird, but the bird is already dead and he mm-hmm. cut down the tree. And it's about these, you know, the work is about our identities and, and our losses and our hopes and, you know, best attempts at things. And they're not, you know, they're uh-huh. not always sad. But this this series also is about that. It's about belonging and, and the loss of belonging and the search for that and what that means and how how hard that 
is and how hard it can be. And just, you know, recognizing that in other people too, and, and seeing the, the humanity in each other. And that's what that, that's what this whole series is really about. Would you say that maybe part of that interest in one way or another comes from growing up with a father who was displaced from the Ukraine? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, this loss of familial and cultural ties that we have had. Mm -hmm. And his parents, so, so they left as refugees during World War II. And very suddenly, they literally left in the middle of the night with what they could carry. And then they, um, you know, made their way across Eastern Europe and eventually were sponsored by the Tolstoy Foundation and came to the United States. And, you know, throughout that time that they were moving around, we just have bits and pieces of, of stories. And right. so I also have this fascination with oral stories and and the histories that we have that are carried, you know, by our ancestors that we learn and through those we learn about ourselves and we learn about them. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have those, then then what do you do? You know, it's kind of just this this question mark. And that is very interesting to me. And we do have bits and pieces. One of the one of the characters in this series is the musician. And so my grandfather was an accordionist. And so he, he was also, he was a te technically trained engineer. And so mm -hmm. he would go to factories along the front lines and work with a, a crew and dismantle factories and send the resources um, back east to keep them out of the hands of Axis powers. And so there was a point in time when he and my grandmother were separated across um, enemy lines. And so mm -hmm. he, he left, he defected and went and got her and they left in the middle of the night and so he would he would play accordion to as they were as they were traveling he would play accordion to allied forces and my grandmother would sing oh and they gosh. would ask they would ask to be paid in lucky strike cigarettes <laughs> which they would <laughs> they would barter in the black market for food and clothing and shelter my dad remembers one time going to meet a man with my grandfather and my grandfather traded him cigarettes for a suitcase full of cherries. Um, and that was one part of that yeah, story that stood out. And that one made that, that story made its way into my work. There's mm -hmm. the musician who is holding an accordion and he has this beautiful floral pattern on his clothing and he's standing in front of a drum and also some dice and a, and an alcohol bottle because <laughs> you know, our have their vices we all yeah. do. And, <laughs> there as well but yeah that's definitely the impetus for the for the series mm -hmm. thinking about, about the reality of that and how you know what a what a big part of our world that is and how much um stories make up our sense of home and who we are and particularly the stories from the people who came before us I think are, are yeah. so important to that sense of like this is who I am and yeah and obviously, you know, displacement from anything, but, you know, from, from war, things like World War II that disrupts an entire generation, you know, that kind of cultural loss and devastation is really sort of immeasurable. And we're still, even though, you know, it may seem sort of quote unquote, like a long time ago, I think we're still just beginning to maybe understand the generational reverberation that can have. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, on the other side, again, I'm such a Gemini. I work in opposites all the time and think in opposites. <laughs> so I'm of that. 
I, I incorporate a lot of plant imagery into my work and I'm, I'm working on a, a new series of woodcuts that are botanical right now. And that has, has always been a fascination for me. And this idea of being rooted again is very important in both a literal and figurative sense and plant imagery and the symbolism of, of plants is in my work, is very present in my work. And that's something that I've been exploring more recently in the past couple of few years. And, you know, I talk about my my dad and my dad's story a lot and how it has influenced my work and, and my mentality and outlook on, on life and humanity and our patterns and movements. And, you know, I, I don't speak about my, my mom as much. And I, have found I you know I've come to realize that she that she is the plants in my work and that is very important yeah because she and I'm not just going into this because she's probably going to listen to this but (laughs) hi mom yeah yeah, (laughs) this is one that that I want to develop more because I mean she is the one that really showed me what it is to have an artistic life and Mm. studio practice and I mean, she's an incredible concert pianist. She's retired from performing now, but I mean, she's just incredible. And growing up and seeing her dedication to her, you know, her life's work and life's passion and how 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 dedicated you have to be. And it's, it's constant work. And mm-hmm. uh, just the focus, you know, her focus really taught me what I need, what I need to know to do what I'm doing now. And, you know, she's one of the most, kind and inclusive and generous, just incredibly generous, nurturing people that I think I'm ever going to know. And so she, you know, I mean, she has rooted me. And so there's so much about my work that's, that's about the searching and displacement and longing and home, you know, what does that mean? But, um, you know, she, she is that person. And she's also she gardens and landscapes and I grew up doing that out in the hill country and, you know, kind of light scale farming. And, and I do that myself. I mean, I cultivate plants and grow and nurture plants, which is my mental health care. So that's a big part of my work. And I, you know, this is one of the times I've ever really spoken about that. And so it's something that I want to start in including into what I say when when I am talking about my work. Absolutely. Yeah. And and before I kind of do more of a more of a deep dive question on that, I just want to give um, a shout out to Annalise's Instagram for hot plant content as well as like great printmaking content. (laughs) It's the best of both worlds. worlds. You really yeah, you have amazing plants appearing um, in your stories and that kind of thing that um, I feel like help my mental health, <laughs> just like watching them from a distance. Oh, so it, yeah, it really happens. It really works. It's amazing. But then, so kind of going back to this idea, yeah, of the, there's so much in there, right? Of the, of the mother and obviously this very common metaphor of women and, and mothers, particularly, and of people who to growing, you know, Mother Earth, you know, I think you were saying that you had just that that idea of of that nurturing and, and protecting and all of that kind of thing of mothers of, of all ilks and genders do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of your mother's sort of cultural background, where where is she from? Yeah, she is from a little town in Louisiana. Yeah, a, a long line of people 
there. And she, it's also interesting, um, you know, we, we don't know much of our family on that side either. And I think there was a, an interesting pruning of the family tree. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. It kind of seems in a way that my nuclear family, you know, my parents and my brother and I, like we, I don't know, it's strange. It seems like we started our, our own branch and we're going forward. We're going forward from there and there's not much information going backwards. Yeah, I think that that idea sort of is really interesting to me the way, you know, generally speaking, you know, non-Indigenous Americans, we really tend to lean into the stories that we know from the culture of the background that we know. Like, so for instance, I describe myself as Swedish and Norwegian, but those were my great grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. one side, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, we still had the little little horses and little trolls at Christmas time around the house mm-hmm. because I think we we want that sense of identity and that sense of like that longer history, uh, uh, that longer sense of culture and space and belonging that, mm-hmm. you know, in, in our case, European traditions offer. Mm-hmm. And so we tend yeah. to really lean into that and kind of almost forget about sort of like, oh, you know, I don't, yeah, you know, so maybe they were on a farm in Iowa. I don't know about them, you know, and that's kind of like, I'm not going to pay attention <laughs> yeah. to them, right? You know, or, or people who, yeah, I think, yeah, we've all known people who are like, you know, really, really proud of like, let's say like their Irish mm-hmm. heritage, right? And mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. again, it's like one great grandfather, you know, is from Ireland, but like that's the one right. we know. So that's the one we hold on to. And, and I think it's really beautiful when you're talking about your work, how you are like having these both sides of it where there's one where it's this really clear connection because for you it's it's your father and and your grandparents and that that cultural connection is very close but I love how you're also realizing that you know even if it's not um this sort of fully formed you know ancient culture that's necessarily like that has a label right that's like the Ukrainian Mm -hmm. your mother's influence is still in your work and it's almost more intuitive and more emotional the fact that you said you didn't even Mm -hmm. necessarily realize that she was coming out in your plants until just you know sounds like just recently and I think it's really great to for us to recognize sort of all sides of of who we are yeah, I think I think so too. And I mean, my mom's family has been extremely influential. And I know really just as kind of as little about them as I do about my dad's family, or I know as much I should, I should right. in a manner, but you know, I know that they, they were fishermen, and they would fish on the bayou. And I mean, I was incredibly close to my grandmother. And she was a school secretary and had a radio show growing up and she and her sisters would sing. Yeah. And she would always say that they would get the most fan mail out of everyone on the radio station. <laughs> and, um, yeah. My grandfather on their side was, he was um, uh, a sign painter. And so he would build billboards and paint billboards and growing up too. I mean, his, some of his tools, he, he passed when I was really young, but some of his tools and paintbrushes were the first instruments of of art making that um i used when when my mother gave them to me yeah so that you know that her her side of the family is incredibly important and very treasured and um yeah i definitely want to be able to to bring out 
you know, honor, honor both sides of, of that ancestry in, in my work. And, you know, it's that again, community and family and belonging is what my work is, is all about. And so I want to develop that to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so my next question is one that I've been kind of curious about asking guests moving forward, because it's one that I've been thinking about a lot myself, which is just why, why are these pieces prints? Do you think, you know, why, why aren't they drawings or paintings or sculptures? Like why, why woodcuts for you, do you think? Yeah, yeah, they are woodcuts. Um, That is kind of an interesting question. I mean, I wanted to so when I started this series, I knew that I wanted them to be life-size or mm-hmm. almost life-size. And at that time, I wasn't doing a lot of woodcuts. And I and I wanted to try my hand at it. And I love the, the patterning in black and white is really stunning. And when I started yeah, the series, I, I, yeah, I really just, I saw them as black and white images and then developed this, you know, process of dyeing the paper and doing this crazy intricate chinclay yeah. which is how they're colored and but it, it really was from wanting to explore the you know tradition of of um the black and white patterning in woodcut and and also using something that would allow me to make them life-size right. so it was kind of an experiment but knowing it was an experiment kind of towards the right end goal, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning about it being a, a process of problem solving, to, you know, to it, an ideal solution. But yeah, I would say that's, that's the, that's the reason. Beautiful, beautiful. I think I'd like to, to pivot a little bit now. Um, but also this kind mm-hmm. of speaking of community, I'd love for you to speak to the print community in Austin and this great event that happens called Print Austin, which I believe you're on the board for and organizer for. I am. And just all of that, because uh, I know that many people are probably interested in it. And those who don't know are about to get interested in it. Yes, absolutely. And this is a great time of year to talk about it, too, because we are gearing up for our spring season and have a lot of calls for entry, which are going to be coming out. And there's a big... um, contemporary printmaking juried exhibition that has cash prizes. So everyone should look into print Austin, but what it is, is a month long festival from mid January to mid February. And um, it was founded by two printmakers here in town, Elvia Perrin and Kathy Savage. And I'm one of the, the founding board members. So I've been very fortunate to, you know, have been involved with the organization since the beginning and have been able to see it grow and see it, you know, really turn into this wonderful thing. So we have exhibitions and artist talks and demos and all kinds of, you know, steamroller event and a print fair events at galleries and museums and pop-up spaces that happen all over town uh, from mid-January to mid-February. And um, people come from, you know, all over Texas and all over the country to participate in these events and exhibitions. And I mean, the goal is to widen the, um, you know, the scope of, of printmaking and the print community and to teach people about printmaking as, you know, a legitimate art form. Yeah. Printmakers, we talk about this a lot, you know, <laughs> this, that it's kind of like the stepchild of, 
of other art forms. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, there has been historically a lack of printmaking in gallery spaces. And in Austin, yes. that was definitely the case. So in our first year, we were reaching out to galleries and, you know, saying, hey, we're starting this organization. And also, I want to say, uh, take a moment to say that Print Austin is based off of a what I'll call, you know, a parent organization called Print Houston that happens in Houston in the summertime. So um, we wanted to do something like Print Houston, and they were incredibly, you know, willing to share their information with us and, you know, some of their programming and, and endorsed, you know, kind of the, the sister organization, Print Houston, Print Austin, and want to take a moment to, to mention that because they also yeah. do great events, and that's the summertime thing coming up. But, um, yeah, one of the one of the goals was, you know, we're calling these galleries saying we're starting this organization. It's going to have a, you know, this festival in the beginning of the year. We want to place phenomenal printmaking artists in Austin galleries. And are you interested in joining our programming? And in the first, you know, couple years, we would have galleries say yes. And, you know, we would help them. We would help pair printmakers with these galleries based mm-hmm. on what they like to show and mm-hmm. would work with them individually to, to find something that would fit their curatorial aesthetic. And then galleries started getting into it and they would say like, oh, well, we, you know, we have somebody that we'd like to show this year. And then they would keep our programming in mind and reach out to printmakers and start doing print centric exhibitions and showing more printmakers. So oh, that part so of good. the organization... Yeah, fostering that in the local community has been phenomenal. And um, yeah, the the organization just continues to grow. And this year we're taking our print fair, which is called Print Expo, from a one-day event to a weekend-long event. And I mean, it has just grown exponentially. And we have printmakers from all over the country that come for that. And it's so fun. And it's a great way to start collecting prints or add to a current collection. And that's, you know, that's one of the goals of this organization is to educate people and, and help foster art collecting and the importance of that and how accessible it can be. I mean, it can seem so intimidating and like you need a crazy budget, but you know, if you, if you get a little bit of advice here and there, I mean, you can find prints like incredible beautiful, you know, life-changing, um, inspirational artwork for whatever fits your, your budget. And so that's kind of the goal of, of this organization is to grow the best things about printmaking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's so intelligent to do the, it's just, yeah, it's just so smart because I think that we get such a beautiful sense of community ourselves and of course it's mm-hmm. it's this global community where I'm talking to you in Austin and I'm here in Australia and then you know we've got like I'm sure mutual friends around the world as well and we have such a great time together that I think sometimes we forget that in order to have a holistic ecosystem of art yeah. We need audiences. And yes, we can be our own audience, but there's no reason why we shouldn't be actively looking to share this incredible work with people outside of our community. And I am just such a firm believer that having art in your life and in your home and in your space, no matter who you are, art that you have picked out because it speaks to you 
improves your quality of life. Or even I was I was trying to think I was uh, saying about that I was like even if it's not even on your walls like I have prints in tubes in storage that just knowing that what they are and that they're mine like makes me happy when I think about it you know <laughs> it's so funny you say that because I I kind of do like a like a flat file inventory check every now and then like you know and for for a long time recently I didn't have um, internet in my house and I oh, liked wow. it that way and kind of would just unplug when I was here and I would joke about you know just sitting down with a glass of wine at the end of the day and I'll just sit on my couch and look at the art on my walls and and you know like really I would really look at it right and I would look at the at the mark making and like study the image and you know just you know kind of learn from the work that I like to collect but it's funny because I still I still think about that and every now and then I'm just like oh yeah you know and this print and my flat files and that print oh I love that print and oh man, I'm so happy about that. I should take that out and look at it when I get home. So I love that so much. I, I, yeah, it's, it just, of course, it makes me think of the, the ye old, you know, come up and see my etchings. Yeah. Of course of like, you know, the Netflix and chill of 1882, but I think there's something. That's still my move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it still works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like a, a total, a total side note. One of my dear friends here who I hope to get on the podcast, um, his name is Michael Kempson. He's an incredible etcher. He runs a teaching and collaborative studio in Sydney. He and his partner have this story about the first time they went on a date and he said, do you want to come up and see my etchings? And she was like, shit yeah I do and then how sad she Uh was when she learned there were really etchings (laughs) like (laughs) she was like oh she's like she's like and then and then he and then he showed me all his etchings like you know this is not what I wanted this is not what I wanted yeah (laughs) but that's really funny yeah but I I love that idea of of having an having an analog evening in with with your mm-hmm. art that's in your life I I want to oh, I want to bring that back I want to like start you know first first Fridays or something of the month that uh yeah. you know start a movement that we just we pour ourselves a glass of wine and we really look at this amazing art that's in our lives and it's not just something that you know you pass by running out the door like you know grabbing your yeah. laptop and trying to like get right. your get your eyebrows in order before you see the day like it's just yeah. <laughs> it's appreciation with intention mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's really lovely yeah Fridays first Fridays first Fridays we'll do yeah we'll start yeah. adding to the stories we've, I think we may we could make a thing out of this I love it it would be so fun. And we could look at, well, when we plug back in um, mm-hmm. on the first Saturday, we could uh, upload what we were looking at. Yeah. That would be super fun. I think we could totally, we could, we'll have to come up with like a real, a real like sexy name for it. That's like, oh, I can't come up with it on the spot, but we'll come up with something good yeah. that, you, that people we'll can come, hashtag. We'll yeah. yeah. That we can, that people can yeah. hashtag. And so you can go through everyone's stories and see what 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 great work they were doing oh just let's just add something else to the list of things that we're doing with our lives shall we Absolutely. <laughs> let's just keep adding why not? yeah why not why not beautiful yeah. well well speaking of the 
the lists of things that you're doing, just to quickly jump back to, to Print Austin, please mm-hmm. let people know when it takes place and where they can see calls. And I'll add all of that to the, the show notes for sure. So they've got some of like those, those hard details. Yes, fantastic. So you can follow the Print Austin Instagram handle and then the website is printaustin.org and the schedule goes up and it's probably going up already. We've already released our call for uh, the Contemporary Print Show mm-hmm. and um, that's a that's a great one to enter. And um, if you're interested in the print fair, you can also find information there as well, printaustin.org. And uh, there's a trade and then there, you know, other other ways to get involved, too. So it's it's a great website to go to to poke around and look for opportunities. And um, yeah, that's a good those are two good places to do it. Excellent. And then what what are the actual dates of the event? Oh, it's January 15 to February 15. Perfect. So it's, mm-hmm. it's coming up so we so people can start um googling and entering and looking into plane tickets and all of that kind of thing so yes come to austin look me up we'll look at some etchings yeah <laughs> I, don't know I, should, I don't know if i should say that I don't know we'll look at print we'll look during at print. print austin yeah exactly yes. beautiful beautiful yeah and so it sounds like it's it's just an event that just keeps growing and getting bigger and more education for the people about printmaking and more community building. And I just love that. Like, that's exactly what we need. It's so fun. Well, before we sign off, um, can you let me know if maybe there's anything else that you're looking forward to in the future that you want to share with people? Things on the horizon. You've got Print Austin. You've got your beautiful series you're working on. Anything else you can think of? Um, Well, yes, about another print shop. Um, a good friend of mine who is an incredible letterpress artist and works at the McDonald Observatory in West Texas is starting a community print shop in Marfa. And that organization was just launched and is still, you know, details are still kind of being formulated, but they're going to be exhibitions and workshops and, you know, kind of these almost residency type uh-huh. workshops where participants can really access the best of West Texas um, and, you know, do hikes or nature walks and learn about how to, you know, bring that type of imagery into your work and the workshops. And um, so that's really exciting. And I was asked to be on on the board for that as well. And I'm really excited for that programming and to see the space develop. And um, so that is, um, oh, what is the website for that? It's Marfa Community Print, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just went live. So please, please yes. forgive me, Laura. <laughs> remember the, Laura Thomas is the, is the founder. And yeah. so, um, but it, just a quick Google, um, you can find that out. So if you're in the area or visiting the area, there's, there's good printmaking in Marfa as well. Of course, great arts of there. Of course. Yeah. That's um, such a great place for it. Yes, it is. It is. Well, beautiful. Well, I'll, um, I'll make sure that we find exactly what it is. And we'll, we'll put the link in the show perfect. notes with, with everything so people can follow that up. And then where's the best place for people to follow you and see your work and see your plants and see our, our, our new um, event, the first Friday etching viewings, or whatever we'll call yes. it. We'll come up with a better name. Um, yeah, so my Instagram is at Annalise Ritovich. 
And I also recently um, released a new website, which is AnneliseGratovich.com. So you can find me at both of those places. Beautiful. Well, um, there will definitely be links to all of that. And um, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on and having this great chat and talking about your, your work and your family and being just so open and, and wonderful about all of it. Absolutely. This was so fun. And it's my, I mean, printmaking is my favorite thing yeah. in the world. So I love <laughs> to talk about it and I love talking about it with you. This was just a blast. So Beautiful. thank you for having me on. Beautiful. Well, we'll have to, um, we'll have to have you back sometime for sure. So everyone. Great. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks, Brian. Bye-bye. That's it for this week, print friends. Join me again in two weeks' time when my guest will be... Dramatic drumroll. Our patron saint of lithography, Catherine Polk. We talk about her childhood growing up in Tennessee, being a badass boss lady in the corporate world, only coming to printmaking in her 50s, her coded iconography, and what it means to be a feminist artist in a post-gender world. You will not want to miss this one. This episode, like all episodes was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help from Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you in two weeks.